0: Hello and welcome to the Anchor Sunday Sermons podcast, a ministry of Rock Harbor Church. We want to help guide and grow you in your walk with the Lord by providing an in-depth study of God's Word with our Sunday sermons here in this podcast. So please grab your Bibles and let's set a course for spiritual maturity. Here's Pastor Brandon with this week's message.
1: We're seeing the things that we see. So anyway, we're going to be in Daniel chapter 5. We'll just go through 1 through 12. The the, the chapter's known for the handwriting on the wall. And uh, there will be the handwriting on the wall. We'll get to that probably next week. Um, But this is the famous passage. It's where the phrase comes from, handwriting on the wall. And I think that's what we need to keep thinking about in our country. Is the handwriting on the wall? Is it there? Can you read it? What is God saying? Right? That's the question we all have to answer. Is the handwriting on the wall for the United States or the globe or all the countries, right? Well, let's start with verse 1. And let's just take this apart just right off the bat. Belshazzar, the king. So let's start with just him, okay? How do you know when a country is on its last leg? How do you know when a, a, a nation is about ready to collapse? You get a guy like Belshazzar, okay? Now, let me explain a little bit where we're at in the text. Belshazzar is Nebuchadnezzar's grandson. He has taken over the throne. And through a lot of political intrigue and there's been assassinations, he gets on the throne. Now, at the same time, he's a co-regent with his father, Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar is part of the military wing, and then Belshazzar stays in Babylon to take care of the province of Babylon. So his dad is out there fighting, and he's staying in the province. Now, at this point in time, we've we've jumped leaps and bounds to where Daniel is. The last time we saw Daniel, he was about 45 years old. Now, in chapter 5, he's 82. We've made a tremendous leap. So we went from his teenage years... And then we went to obviously his mid, his midlife, and now we're at his twilight years of being 82. So he's in, Daniel's kind of in semi retirement. Okay. He, uh, it doesn't seem to be functioning as he was when he was 45, but he gets pulled out of retirement for this particular case. Now, <clears throat> archaeology, they used to say Belshazzar didn't exist. But in 1854, they found these uh, steelies, these cylinders, and it names Belshazzar the son of Nabunindus. uh And basically what it says, he was acting as a co regent of Babylon in 554 BC, while Nabonindus was in Tima in Arabia. Belshazzar's mother was a daughter of Nebuchadnezzar. Now, <clears throat> in your text, it'll say that uh, Belshazzar is the son of Nebuchadnezzar. And skeptics used to look at this and say, "Oh, that's wrong. That's wrong. It's not his. It's not his uh, father." Well, in the original languages, there is no word for grandfather. Aramaic or Hebrew. So, what they would refer to as if, if someone was your grandfather, you would refer to him as your father, even though he was your grandfather. So that's that's where we deal with the skeptics here, and there's always an answer for the skeptics. But the skeptics always said this guy didn't exist. But yet, when we found the cylinder, his name was smack dab right on there. Anyway, here's a little bit of a timeline of where this Belshazzar comes from. Nebuchadnezzar dies in 562. Uh, He is taken over by his son Evil Merodach. I don't know where he gets the word evil, but I guess they named him evil because he was evil and then he, he, evil merodach is murdered by ne, neri if i can pronounce that right neri becomes king reigns about 4 years uh labashai marduk takes over when his father dies reigns about 2 months and Nabonindus assassinates them and we believe that belshazzar was involved in the assassination of labashai marduk so anyway belshazzar is a bad dude okay it's kind of on the level of the Clintons, if that if that you can relate. There's a lot of dead bodies, okay, coming from this guy, right, uh, in the wake. And, and so he's a bad dude, Belshazzar. Anyway, the first thing you have to understand, why a nation dies is because there will be ungodly leadership in every sector of society. Now, this is what's happening in Babylon. You go from a believing individual like Nebuchadnezzar that came to faith in Jesus, or really Yahweh at that time, he's saved, and within the next generation that takes over, they're just the most ungodly people you can imagine. And then it goes worse and worse. So when when one of the signs that Babylon is going to be finished is that it has so corrupt leadership. Their leadership is so corrupt it won't last. It just, the, the nation won't stand. There's too many lies. There's too many backdoor deals. There's too many things going on. And you can't survive as a nation when you have this. And that's what's happening in Babylon. <clears throat> and he's put his, all his guys in charge and he's got his team involved and they're all corrupt. When you look at the United States and you look at the leadership of our country in every sector, it is corrupt, even in the churches, and when you look at that that's a warning sign that your nation's about to end when you have corrupt leaders who are again we know the the the, the elections are 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 false, but even in the other elections, when you have boards school boards, and you have uh Doctor, not doctors, but uh, hospital administrators making decisions for people's health and they're corrupt. And you, you go to the media and you go to Hollywood and you go to politics and education, all of it. You look at the leadership, it's all corrupt. When you see that, that is a warning flag from God. Your country's not gonna last. Look what he says to Israel. When they got so messed up, I want you to see the kind of leaders that God gave Israel when they were getting ready to be judged by the Assyrians. I will give children to be their princes, and babes shall rule over them. Is that the kind of leaders we have right now? Children running our country? Children running our schools? Children running the the, the CNN and MSNBC and all the media? We have children, don't we? That's a sign, guys. That's a sign that you've been turned over as a country. The people will be oppressed. Yeah, are we oppressed? We're starting to be. How so? Money-wise. Inflation. Gas prices. Food prices. And they won't stop it. They know how to stop it, but they won't. Everyone by another. Everyone by his neighbor. The child be insolent toward the elder and the base towards the honorable. So the idea is what will happen in your society is the base of your society, the morally corrupt people will be insolent towards the elders, the, the, the wise ones, the ones that know the truth. So you have this flip-flop. So this what happened to Rehoboam in Israel when he took over after Solomon? He didn't listen to the elders. He listened to his contemporaries. And the contemporaries did nothing. They didn't, they knew nothing and they corrupted the southern part of of, of Judah and Benjamin at that time. The same is true. People are listening to the millennials rather than listening to the elders. And the millennials are driving our country into the ground. I hate to say it, but it's true. Their philosophy of life is ungodly. The way they raise their kids, the way they do things, it is ungodly. You can't survive like that. You just can't when a man takes hold of his brother in the house of his father saying, you have clothing, you be our ruler and let these ruins be under your power. What it's saying is this, the times will get so bad that they will look for a good leader, but, and they'll say, we can't find anyone. And they'll say, look, you know, he, he, he could be our leader. He has clothes. What it means is the kind of leadership they will have will not have very much qualifications. Just a article of clothing will make you a leader. And so it means that it doesn't matter if you're smart. We're just looking for a warm body to put in leadership. And the kind of leadership you will get is people who are untrained, have no leadership capability, dumber in a box of rocks, and they will be put in positions of leadership. When you see that, that's a sign that it, 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 there's no qualifications for leadership. Think about that. What do we see? These people are put in positions in the United States government, bureaucrats that we didn't vote for, and they're governed a box of rocks. What does Bill Gates know about medicine? Well, you have money, so I guess you could be a czar. What do they know? You see what I'm saying? And he goes on, in that day, he will protest saying, I cannot cure your ills. This is the good leader. For in my house is neither food nor clothing. So the good leaders won't get involved. And they say, do not make me a ruler of the people. So the idea is that if there is good leadership, they won't get involved. Would you want to be in leadership at this point in time now and go to Washington? Would you want to do that? Would you want to be on these crazy school boards? Think about it. The good leaders will say, I ain't getting involved. I'm not getting involved. That's what will happen to your country. For Jerusalem stumbled and Judah has fallen because their tongue and their doings are against the Lord to provoke the eyes of his glory. So they don't want to get involved because they they realize the, the nation's under judgment. The look on their countenance witnesses against them and they declare their sin as Sodom. They do not hide it. Woe to their soul, for they have brought evil upon themselves. They can't blush, is what it's saying. They do the most heinous, sinful acts, and they don't bat an eye. They don't blush. They have the countenance of a whore. That's the idea. Think about that in leadership. They do the evilest things, and they don't even... Blush. They look at you with a joker smile, and they just keep doing what they're doing, and they continue to plummet the depths. That's what Isaiah is trying to say. That's Nebuchadnezzar, or sorry, not Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar. Well, anyway, here's what he does. Belshazzar, the king, made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in the presence. the uh, the the way, the way the Aramaic can be translated is before of the thousand. Now, Herodotus and Xenophon note that they have the very day in which this happened. It happened on Saturday, October 12th, 539 B.C. And Dr. Harold Homer said that it happened at 5, I think, 539 in the afternoon. That's how precise we know the time when this happened. That's how precise. It was on Sabbath. It's a Saturday. What's going on here? Well, Belshazzar... He made a great feast for a thousand of his lords. And then it says he drank wine in the presence. So, so the idea is he's drinking wine. They're, they're, they're semi drunk. And, and the idea that he drank wine before the present means that he, he was above on a platform before them. About a thousand of of the lords. Now, this was not uncommon to have one of these feasts. Um, when they had these feasts, they could do it every day. They would bring thousands of people in. And have this big feast. So it's not uncommon to see this. And some of, some of the ancient reports that they had sometimes 15,000 people at one feast. Massive. Just massive. And again, it, it was lavish expenditures. They spent like drunk sailors on leave. And it just, it shows you that even in leadership, they spent money and now we have bad leadership and they spend money, right? 30 trillion dollars in debt. Yeah. Same thing. Now, One of the things I'm going to point out about this is this principle, why a nation dies. The leaders truly believe their plans will work due to their reprobate mind. Now, think about this. What's going on in Babylon? Let me tell you the scene. Nabonidus, his father, has already been defeated by Cyrus. He is on the run now. Most of Babylon has already been taken by cyrus the great the only thing left that cyrus hasn't taken at this point in time is babylon itself so think about this they are having a feast while the babylonian armies are defeated outside that's how stupid they are that's how insolent they are they don't understand the reality of when they're in uh, what they're at and so he's having a feast now this feast is for a purpose this feast and again we we could we speculate but it 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 could be that he is so prideful he thinks nothing can ever penetrate the Babylonian walls. So even though his father and the armies have been slaughtered, they'll never get to him. And so he's boastful that, the, that, that the Persians will never get to him. Or that he's also doing this for, to show that no, now my father is dead or captured, so now I am the king. And he's celebrating that. I mean, this is how crazy they think, right? Who throws a party When you're being slaughtered, he does. Because they think their plans are going to work. He thinks the gods of the Babylonians will save him. And he does that to honor the gods of Babylon. To say, no, they'll save me. I'm secure. Nothing will happen. Again, it goes back to this. He doesn't believe it's going to happen. He believes his plans will work. In the face of reality. And that's what happens when you have leaders like that. All Hades is breaking loose around them, and they still keep on their plans. So as we see, we have leaders just like that. We have leaders who all Hades is breaking around them. World War Three is on the cusp of everything, and they're already thinking about a digital currency. Here's another principle. The people work from a false sense of security. See, Belshazzar had the idea that the Babylonians as a nation could never be taken down. We will always last. And in that night, on Saturday night, they would be taken down just like that. But they had a false sense of security. Maybe the false insecurity was the Babylonian gods. Maybe it was how thick the walls of Babylon was. I don't know. But they had a false insecurity that their country could never fall. Look at what's happening now: the rise of global governance and the desire for it does not allow us to continue the way we are and in America because of this. It will. There's no room for a constitutional republic in globalism. You understand what's at stake? That's why they're pulling us into a World War III. They want to take us down because there is no room. And people think, well, we can never fall. America can never fall. It can, that's, that's not true. If anyone thinks that we can never fall, you put yourself in the category of false security. It's not true. Look what they're doing to our monetary system. They're using modern monetary system of uh, we can print as much money as we want, we can spend as much money as we want, and we will control your spending. It doesn't work. It's the idea of buying yourself out of debt, spending yourself out of debt, printing more money. That doesn't work. It's crazy. Modern monetary uh, theory doesn't work, and they're applying this right now. It's a false sense of security. How about this? How about this false sense of security? Wear your mask, get your jab, right? And people fell for it. False sense of security. Wall Street analyst says now COVID vaccines are the greatest fraud in history. It's all coming out, and you know what? It doesn't even matter. All the even the CDC released numbers. All of it comes out, and you know what? I keep seeing people wearing masks, and people thinking about they're going to get their booster. What is wrong with you? It's brainwashing. It, we know what it is. They've found studies that these masks now, these kids won't take them off in school. It has become a Linus blanket for them. You know how Linus and Peanuts used to hold his blanket for, you know, safety, security, whatever it is? That's their little blanket now. Teachers won't take the mask off now, even though the mandate's over they won't take them off. Why? It becomes a false sense of security. That's what it represents. How about this one? This is a false sense of security that we're going to save the planet, cut all fossil fuels, and go to wind and solar, and we'll be fine as a nation. We're doing that now, and that's why your gas prices are so high. They are destroying us It's a false sense of security. Oh, if we just get wind and solar, we'll be fine. We'll be energy independent. No. If you allowed us to drill and frack and do everything else, we would be energy independent. That's the problem. They're destroying the oil and gas companies. You know, I just heard that banks now won't loan the the oil companies any money because they've been told not to give the the oil companies any money. And so now the oil companies said. Well, we can't even do anything. We can't even get any money to drill. They're being cornered at every point. Again, false sense of security. Oh, we're just going to go to wind and solar. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. So watch this. While he tasted the wine, Belshazzar gave the command to bring the gold and silver vessels which his father, Nebuchadnezzar, that's his grandfather, had taken from the temple, the Jewish temple, which had been in Jerusalem that the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. Oh, my land. Oh, my land. You're, you're going for the jugular, aren't you? Again, this is how evil it is. He goes for the jugular. He's going to drink out of the utensils that comes from the Jewish temple. That's blasphemy. That's sacrilege. And he's doing it on purpose. Now, he could have chosen any of the other pagan gods out there of conquered people that the Babylonians had conquered. But he doesn't. He chooses the Hebrew God. He does this to the God of the Bible. Don't think this is an accident. It is intentional. He is sending a message. Now, just some some archaeology so you can see what's going on here. Today, if you go there, this is where... uh, Ancient Babylon, parts of ancient Babylon are, the main city. The, and you can see this. it's the Ishtar gates there. Saddam Hussein built one of his palaces right there next to it. You have a U.S. military base there. And then you have the throne room there. And this is where Babylon was at. It was obviously more expansive. And Babylon actually sat on top of the river. Uh, the river actually would flow through the city of Babylon. Anyway... They, uh, Saddam Hussein started building the walls up from this area. And what we have is, we, ha- we know the throne room in which this event happened. It's right there. Now the walls were built by, by Saddam Hussein, but the location is exact. That's where this feast was happening. If you go in, this is what the inside of the, the feast room looks like, where Belshazzar had this. Now, Again, this was built up by, by uh, Shaddam Hussein, but what they found archaeologically, that platform, when it says that he ate a feast before his people, it's the idea that he was above them on a platform. There's the platform. That's the platform Belshazzar was on. And everyone in that room was seated there, see, seated there before it as he sat above them. Now, this is very interesting. What they have found archaeologically is those walls, the the, the original walls, not the Nebuchadnezzar walls, the original walls were whitewashed with a white plaster so that when writing appeared on the wall, it contrasted with the white plaster that was there. And everybody in the the whole uh, area could have seen the writing on the wall. But it's it's amazing how archaeologically it verifies everything the Bible says. And there's tourists, you can go there today if you ever get over there, And there's the platform with Belshazzar sat on. And probably more than likely behind him is where the handwriting on the wall occurred. Amazing, isn't it? Every time they turn a spade of of archaeological research, it verifies the Bible. Why does a nation die then? The people are clueless to the real threats. The real threats... They're having a feast while they're going to be attacked by Cyrus. Now, the cluelessness has to do with either a false sense of security or, or the gods will save them. I don't know. I don't know where it's coming from. I think this is kind of a Roman's mind uh, mindset that when you go off the deep end and you're that wicked, you start losing all common sense. I want you to think about it. People that right now in America are more afraid of not wearing a mask than they are of global government. I listen sometimes to the radio, the talking heads, and uh, I, I was shocked about this. I, I, this was is what I was listening to. Ta- I was talking to somebody about this. Maybe Keith, maybe. I was listening to a Glenn Beck interview Dave Ramsey. Dave Ramsey is this Christian guru in economics and stuff and uh, yada, yada, yada. You probably know about Dave Ramsey, but he's a Christian. Glenn Beck, a Mormon unbeliever who knows more than most Christians, and he's a Mormon unbeliever, Ask Dave Ramsey, what do you think about the Great Reset and about global governments and now that Biden has signed in a, 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 a digital currency now? Dave Ramsey was clueless, absolutely clueless about what was going on. And here's the guy who's supposed to know Christian finances, and the dude doesn't know any clue about the Great Reset. How does that happen? How can you be so checked out? that you don't even know they're going to a digital currency, that you don't even know that this is on purpose and they're doing the great reading. How do you not know that, Dave Ramsey? Because when a nation dies, the people are clueless to the real threats. He's, He's worried about getting people out of debt. You fool, they're gonna go to a digital currency. Everybody be in debt. You will never get out of debt, Dave Ramsey. You fool. Because you don't know the signs of the times. Unbelievable. I I was shocked about it, but it's part and parcel of what's going on today. Nero fiddled while Rome burned, and that's the idea. Dave Ramsey, great. You're telling people how to get pay off their mortgage. You fool. They won't even own their house at the end of this. The Great Reset says, you will own nothing and be happy. Dave Ramsey, get up to speed. But I'm just giving you that as an example. How can you be that far behind, Dave? Unbelievable, right? Because Dave Ramsey doesn't know prophecy, that's why. We're at the verge of nuclear war. World War III is about to almost happen. And people are worried about vaccines. What? What's happening to people? While, while World War III is about to happen, this is what your congressmen and congresswomen are now doing. They passed the hair bill, right? So Nebuchadnezzar, I'm sorry, Belshazzar's having a feast, and outside of the gates are the, the Medes and Persians about ready to kill them, and that's what's happened. We're, we're, we're on the verge of World War III, and Nancy Pelosi and the Congress are passing the hair bill so that people won't be discriminated because of their hair. This is what your Congress does, right? So the idea is, if you have purple or green hair, or corn rolls, or uh, whatever Afro, they name that all that stuff, that you won't be discriminated. They can't they can't deny you if your your hair is purple or green if you want to apply for a job. That's that's what your that's what the, the Rome Rome is burning and they're fiddling. You got all this happening: inflation, gas prices skyrocketing, food prices skyrocketing. What are they doing? Passing a hair bill. Passing a hair bill. Unbelievable. At the same time that all this is going on, the Iran nuclear deal, what we found out this week, allows for Russia to build nuclear power plants in Iran. And we're brokering the deal. We're working with Iran to allow this. Moscow is brokering the deal, which allows them to build Russian nuclear power plants in Iran. Isn't that crazy? And we're, we're... We're supposed to be opposing Russia, and yet we're helping them out in Iran. Whose side are we on? Then they brought the gold vessels that had been taken from the temple of the house of God, which had been in Jerusalem. The king and his lords, his wives and his concubines drank from them. You see the sacrilege here? the, The concubines, all these people, ungodly people, are drinking from the temple vessels. They drank wine, and who did they do? What did they do? They praised the gods of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone, six of them. Remember, six is always a symbol of man, and he's less than. Six different gods. They're doing this to other gods, using Yahweh's utensils for the temple. Now, what, what are we talking about? They're not using maybe, the, you know, the candelabra or anything like that. What they're using is the cups they would use in uh, catching the blood from the animal. And you can see they would have bowls and they would have cups that they would catch the blood and then be able to pour it on the, the Ark of the Covenant uh, with the high priest um, or in the altar. And you can see them today. Uh, even some of the priests today, are they're, they're ready for the temple to be built. So you see the cup in his hand? That's what they're drinking out of, the cup that would have held the blood of the animals for sacrifice. It's blasphemy. It's sacrilege. So when a nation dies, the principle is this. The people take what is sacred and intentionally profane it. They take what is sacred and they profane it. That's what he did. Now let me ask you this. Are we taking that which is sacred in America and profaning it? Life. Babies in the womb, which are sacred, are being slaughtered. Taking that which is sacred and profaning it. Look at this. California legislator introduced abortion tourism bill. Yeah. If your state doesn't allow you to do an abortion, you can come to California. We'll pay your airfare. We'll pay your hotel. We'll pay your food and lodging. And then you can have an abortion here and then go back to your state. We now, this is on the books right now probably is going to pass, going to introduce abortion tourism for California. Taking that which is sacred, a life, and desecrating it. Look at this. Children are sacred, right? But look what they're doing. They're grooming them. ESPN interrupts coverage of NCAA women's basketball tournament to hold a moment of silence to protest the parental rights uh, in education bill. We're talking about what DeSantis is doing in Florida. And remember, what DeSantis is doing in Florida is saying, look, we don't want to tell these elementary kids and preschool kids about LGBTQ agendas stuff. We don't want them questioning their biology. We don't want them to to look at uh, pornography as little children. And so God bless DeSantis for doing that. But ESPN stops in the middle of a game and has a a thing of silence in opposition to what DeSantis is doing. ESPN is nothing but a bunch of groomers then. They're grooming kids. You stop and have a moment of silence? And then look at this. Grieving mother claimed L.A. County School pushed transgender treatments on her teenage daughter who ultimately committed suicide. Why did they play with her life? Because they don't, they believe they own your child. That's why. And this is what happens. When they groom these kids, they end up committing suicide eventually. That's how it goes. But they don't care. They take that which is sacred, children, and they profane it. Teaching, teaching, uh, five-year-olds sexuality. You may not be a boy, you're a girl, or whatever. That, I think the Lord had a word for that for those types of groomers. It would be better to have a millstone tied around your neck and thrown into the deepest oceans. Disney, Pixar answers the call to groom kids on sexuality. After Ron DeSantis, they put back in a clip they had taken out where the new Buzz Lightyear movie, he has a gay kiss. They had originally taken it out, but once they saw Ron DeSantis' bill... They put it back in. So don't go watch Buzz Lightyear. You're going to see him kiss a, another dude in the film. More grooming. Thank you, Disney. How about this? Dying with dignity. You, you know, hey, you know, you don't want to be a drain on society, right? You don't want to be a, a burden to your family. So, you know, we'll just give you a pill and you can kill yourself. You'll slip away and sleep and go away. Save yourself all the money, save your family the burden of paying your medical bills, and we can just wish you a good night, sleep. This is going to be more prevalent. What is it? Whether it's a child or the elderly, any human life is sacred because it's made in the image of God. Therefore, you do not have the right to take it when it begins, and you don't have the right to take it at its last stages. You let the natural processes take over, and God will take the person home. You don't, you don't give them a pill to swallow. But that's this is becoming more and more the new trend. You can go to Sweden again, I guess, and get yourself like a this coffin-looking shaped thing, like from the Matrix. You can go in there, and it suffocates you. Yeah, this is what they're coming up with. Marriage, that which is sacred, has been profaned. Right. Merit is sacred. You don't mess with it because God created it. But yet look what they're doing. Profaning it, aren't they? How about creation? God made creation, but yet now they profane it by worshiping it. These people are out in the forest worshiping the trees. But that's what this is all, this green movement's all about, is worshiping the creation rather than the creator. Taking that which is sacred and profaning it. How about this? biology male and female is sacred god created them male and female it says but yet woman of the year or man of the year is our new uh what is it health czar or whatever i don't know what she is health secretary there you go czar would probably be good health czar it's a dude can anyone see this and they said woman of the year Woman of the year. So, dude, take that which is sacred and profane it. How about this? Free speech. You know free, where free speech derives? It derives from the Bible. It derives from this. And when you look at Ephesians 4:15, Paul talks about speaking the truth in love. Okay, that is where we derive free speech. That God wants us to tell the truth in love and not have that silenced or censored. Okay? What they are doing right now is a violation of Ephesians 4.15. They are censoring the truth. You take that which is sacred, free speech, and then you profane it by censoring it. That's what's happening right now. It's not just simply on the Bill of Rights. It's from the Bible, guys. Freedom of religion. The COVID shut down, all these other things going around, around the world, persecuting Christians. They do not like us practicing our Christianity. They do not like us with our views. So, freedom of religion, that which is sacred to have free will is now being profaned and you're limited in what you can say, what you can do, and more is coming. Because eventually, your religion Your your faith in the Messiah will be attacked through a digital currency. They will not allow you to buy and sell if you have opposing viewpoints to the narrative. They will curtail that. They will curtail your activities and the things you do. Your freedom of religion is about to go. How about this? Look at this example. They're censoring the truth, frontline doctors for Fauci. And Fauci says you need more boosters. We're not over. It's unbelievable, right? How about the economy? You have a free will market economy versus now they're having a planned economy. That's what they're doing. The global digital currency is to set up a global economic system. That's the whole point. So you're going to go from free market to control market. How about this? Biblical lovemaking, which is found in the Song of Solomon, right? It's all outlined there in the Song of Solomon. So you have the sacredness of sexuality being profaned by this world to where sexuality means anything goes, right? It's not just simply a man and a woman that are in in a, a, a marriage. It's anything and everything. You have taken that which is sacred and profaned it. Again, sacred nationalism. Not, not nationalism like Russia has or, or China or anything like that. But love of country is good. God wants nations. He doesn't want globalism. But they take that which is good, sacred, the nations, as the, God divided the nations, take that which is sacred, profane it to globalism. You see how the pattern is? They've, they've basically profaned, profaned everything that God created. In the same hour, the fingers of a man's hand appeared and wrote opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw a part of the hand that wrote. Now, this is fascinating. Now, remember I told you the plaster on the wall? What they found in archaeology, that that plaster was actually white. They had whitewashed that whole wall behind the platform that I showed you. That's why the handwriting would have been uh, really contrasted, especially in torchlight at that night. Everyone would have seen it right above Belshazzar. Now what's the deal about this? The significance of the handwriting has a twofold significance. OK? And this is what I want to point out. first of all. In the ancient world, the cutting off of the right hand symbolized death, okay? So then when you would go and vanquish people, a lot of times they would cut the person's hand off and bring it back with them to prove that the guy was dead. And so in the ancient world, cutting off the right hand was symbolic of the person is dead. Now, it kind of be the same thing in American Indians where they'd scout people, Right? There was a sign that the person is dead. And the sign was to cut off the right hand and then take that back to prove that the person had been dead. George Lucas picked up the whole thing. He brought the theme in Star Wars, believe it or not, of cutting off the right hand. It's always a cutting off of the right hand symbolizing the death of an enemy or death of of a foe. So you have that. But notice it's the right hand, which is a symbol for death, but the hand is alive. Did you catch that? It's a right hand, which is a symbol for death, but the hand is writing. It's alive. Usually it would be a dead hand. You catch the symbolism there? Okay. One more thing. When you see this hand that is a message of death, it is writing and alive, it points to somebody's hand. Whose hand? Is it an angel's hand? No. No. What you start seeing throughout Scripture is this is the very hand of God writing this down. We saw him in the Old Testament. His hand wrote the Ten Commandments for Moses, right? And then you see the hand here. The other time the hand will appear is in the Gospels. Remember the woman caught in adultery? And what does Jesus do? It says he took his hand and wrote in the sand or wrote in the dirt why is he doing that because the pharisees the religious leaders had brought a woman caught in adultery and according to the law if you're going to stone her which they asked the lord to do that she should be stoned the problem is you have to have two or three witnesses because if you don't have two or three witnesses then case dismissed you have no case so what they did is present a case to him without any witnesses. And the reason he writes in the dirt, people try to figure out what he wrote. It's not important what he wrote. It's, what's important is the hand was writing. In essence, his message back to the Pharisees is, don't try to pull your stunt on me. I'm the one who wrote the law. I'm the one who wrote the Ten Commandments. And you don't have witnesses. Case dismissed. That's what the hand symbolized. I'm the one who wrote it. And so when you put it all together, it's a living hand that, that is a message of death. And it's going to come from Yahweh himself who's writing this. Your kingdom is over. That's what the hand represents. Then the king's countenance changed and his thoughts troubled him. So that the joints of his hips were loosened and his knees knocked against each other. So he's frightened to death. He doesn't know what to think. The king cried aloud to bring the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers, all the occultists, right? The king spoke, saying to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing tells me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck. Notice what he is offering. Purple and gold. And he shall be third ruler in the kingdom. Now, people, skeptics came, how can he be third ruler? Belshazzar is the king. No, he's not. He's a co-regent. His father is the king. He is a co-regent. So when he says he'll be third ruler, it makes perfect sense. You can't be above his father and him, but you can be under them as a third ruler. Now I know that doesn't sound significant, but it does because so many skeptics say, well, that's the stupidest thing we've ever heard, a third ruler. Not really. When you know the background on this, Nabonindus and Belshazzar are first and second. So it's going to make him third ruler. Notice the garments, though. Purple and gold what city are we in Babylon why is that significant because someone's there why a nation dies well the principle is this the people promote the horror of the Babylon's agenda for the whores luxuries the whore of Babylon comes from Babylon. They're ground zero. That's where she's at. The religion of Babylon is the whore of Babylon. It is the false religion that's permeated all through society right now. So guess what? John predicts that this whore of Babylon will revive and be part of the whole global system that this global government will usher in. You're already seeing it now. Equity, diversity inclusion environmental social justice governance it's the horse calling card so it carried me away in the spirit in the wilderness and i saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast the scarlet beast is the roman empire which was full of the names of blasphemy having seven heads and ten horns the woman was arrayed in what what color is it thank you and scarlet and adorned with what gold and precious stones and pearls having in her hand a golden cup full of the abominations and filthiness of her fornication and on her forehead a name was written mystery Babylon the great the mother of harlots she is the one who produces all the false religions and of the abominations of the earth she is at the heart of all false religions and yet he is giving anyone who who interprets this a purple robe and gold which is the luxuries of the whore so what the whore gives you is money power and fame that's what the whore gives if you do a deal with the whore and you promote her her things this is what she gives you this is why the people of the world get drunk on her abundant luxuries right the billionaires club how do you think they got there they cut deals with the whore And now, notice what the globalists and the billionaires are pushing, right? The guy, I can't remember his name. Maybe you guys can. Who's the head of BlackRock? You know BlackRock? I can't remember the guy's name off the top of my head. BlackRock owns everything in this world. Everything, BlackRock. The owner of BlackRock is pushing every woke agenda you could possibly imagine through BlackRock. And because of that, the banks have to comply with his propaganda from the whore. Larry Fink, right? You got it. Larry Fink. Larry Fink is one of the most powerful men on this planet, and he's pushing the whore's agenda economically and because he has a chokehold on every economic system the banks comply and the banks will be pushing your esg scores and your social credit scores and all this other stuff because why he's part of the billionaires club if you do a deal with the whore that's what she creates in you now all the king's wise men came but they could not read the writing or make known the king its interpretation then king bell King, then King Belshazzar was greatly troubled, his countenance was changed, and his lords were astonished. The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came to the banquet hall. Now, now she came uninvited, you would be killed if you came uninvited, but because it's his mother, she can come any time, time in this. So she, she hears what's going on, she walks in, and then she says, O king live forever do not let your thoughts trouble you nor let your countenance change there is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy god and in the days of your father light and understanding and wisdom like wisdom of the gods were found in him and king nebuchadnezzar your father your father uh, the king made him chief of the magicians astrologers chaldeans and soothsayers in as As an excellent spirit and knowledge, understanding, interpreting dreams, solving riddles, and explaining enigmas were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called and let him let and he will give the interpretation. Here's my question How does Belshazzar not know of Daniel? He was like second in the kingdom. This wasn't too long ago. How does he forget about Daniel? Well, he hasn't forgot. He pretends to forget. Why does a nation die? Because people forget their past intentionally. They forget their past intentionally. What do you think the curriculum in the schools and the colleges and universities has all been about? Intentionally changing our history So these younger generations don't have a clue what's going on and see America as bad. It's on purpose that people intentionally forget. It's not taught. And when you see a nation do that, it's intentional. Belshazzar intentionally er tried to erase the history of Daniel. And so his mom says, look, you gotta remember this guy. They didn't want him there. It's just like when they don't want to talk about their founding fathers. They want to just make them all a bunch of racists, right? It's the same thing. So that's why a nation dies. Look what uh, Winston Churchill said. A nation that forgets its past has no future. It's right. He's totally right. Look what George Santayana said. Those who do not remember the past are condemned to repeat it. He's right. That's what's happening right now. America has intentionally forgotten their past. Now let me ask you this based on these principles that you saw when a nation dies what is your evaluation if you put these principles on America and what do you conclude I'll leave that to you but it's something all of us have to face they thought they were a nation that could never fall and they fell in one night just like that. We're going to get more into this next week of, of the sacrilege and what ba- Daniel does and we'll uncover a lot more but at the surface of this it's about the nation falling. I hope I'm raptured before I see it fall. Spring.
0: Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Anchor Sunday Sermons. We hope that this message is a blessing to you and helps grow you towards a more mature understanding of God's word. Rock Harbor Church has recently started a second podcast called The Anchor Bible Study. It's filled with past and continuing Bible studies preached during our Wednesday evening services. If you enjoyed this message and would like to hear it, please check the description of this episode or search your favorite podcast streaming services for The Anchor Bible Study. Support for both of our podcasts comes from your generous gifts and donations. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website, rockharborchurch.net. Until next time, remember, keep looking up for our redemption draws near.